You are listening to Feeding the Mouth That Bites You with Ashley Parrish and Jessica Pfeiffer. A weekly podcast guide on parenting teens and launching them into the world. As always, we are joined by psychologist and author, Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hey everyone, and welcome back. On today's episode, we will be discussing LGBTQIA plus issues in teenagers. Ashley, you know, this is a conversation that happens regularly in our home. I don't know where you're at with your oldest, but with teenagers, this conversation happens on almost a daily basis, just about friends um, and their conversations about what's going on at school. People are talking about LGBTQ and then the I and the A plus that we're going to discuss too that are less commonly heard. But uh, I think this is a super important conversation. It's happening in our culture. It's happening on social media. It's happening everywhere around us. And for us as parents to ignore it or to not get some information and facts on it would be absurd. Ooh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And even if we are, if we have parents of teenagers that haven't crossed this bridge yet, it's just a matter of time before they do. Because Mm -hmm. like you said, it is something that's being commonly spoke about within the groups of teenagers. And so parents, if you haven't dealt with it already, you soon will. And I think that this episode is going to be very informative and helpful uh, for those conversations that will come about. Yeah. And as you can guess, it comes up in my office more and more. And I -hmm. I think you're right. One of the reasons that I'm glad we're doing this is because um, whether it is the parent's teenager actually, or uh, the teenager's attitude about LGBTQ issues, um, parents are very often a bit deer in the headlights about the whole thing. Like we don't really know how to say anything and or uh, if we do, it seems to be very upsetting to our teenager. So um, I, I'm glad that we're uh, in, able to talk about it because it's such a huge part of the current cultural upheaval. I mean, when we're mm-hmm. recording this, I don't remember how many weeks ago it was, but we just came, had what's called National Coming Out Day. You cannot keep your head in the sand and this not affect, again, and this is important, not just, uh-oh, what if I have a transgender or gay teenager? That's obviously part of the issue, but it is also uh, none of your teenagers do not know someone or doesn't ha- know that this topic is being uh, talked about a lot, whether they mm-hmm. have the issues or not. Exactly. And Dr. Ken, do you think that there has been a really sharp increase in teenagers who are starting to identify as LGBTQIA+. There's been a huge explosion, really. So um, in England, for example, the Tavistock Institute is a a transgender research um, facility. And I forget the exact numbers, but I think five years ago they had 25 teenagers, and now they have like 1200 and something. I mean, it's, uh, it's been identified among teenagers, a phenomenon of groupings of several girls who are friends, and they all suddenly became transgender. Uh, So the question of how can that be? And what's the validity of that? uh, Those are all the kind of things that are showing that, yeah, it's, it's, it's exploded in terms of do I know for sure that my kid will have no issues with that. Well, it's, it's not like it used to be that no, it, it's still rare. It is not the norm by any means, but some of those issues are, are exponentially increasing in, in teenagers. So why do you think it's so different from when, let's say our generation was growing up and what is the difference in today's conversations and today's climate that 
that's, you know, adding to this. Okay. Well, I'm going to apologize in advance that this, you really need to think about this mm-hmm. because that question, how, why has this become such a big deal uh, is really important for people to understand. Uh, and the first thing takeaway is to know that LGBTQ is not an issue of sexual behavior. It is a cultural argument about identity. And I think most of the time parents think that the issue is about sinful or not sinful or good for you behavior. And there's much evidence that that's really not what's being talked about. I've always remember years ago, a 16 year old boy whose mother brought him to see me. And in the initial interview, I was asking, uh, trying to ask about dating. And I said, do you have a girlfriend? And he kind of looked a little shocked for a moment and said, no. So then later in the interview, after his mom left, I said, I, so when I asked you if you had a girlfriend, you said, no. And he goes, yeah, um, I didn't know how to answer that because I'm gay and I am in a relationship, but my mom doesn't know that. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Should have asked, are you dating? Uh, and then he proceeded to tell me, I said, well, tell me about um, the guy, your da- your relationship. Well, um, he told me that uh, when he started dating his uh, boyfriend, uh, she was a girl. But uh, about three months into the relationship, she came out as transgender. And so that means that he's gay. And I'm trying to follow this, you know, making, drawing mm-hmm. on my pad, you know, whatever. And And I said, so is he... Uh, having hormones or, you know, dressing. Nope. Uh, He's decided not to do any uh, outside stuff at this point uh, because of his parents. Uh, And I said, so does he even dress differently? He said, I said, can I just see a picture of you and your boyfriend? And he looked on his phone and he showed me a picture of him looking pretty cool in this black shirt and tie next to a fairly attractive teenage girl in a satin white and pink dress. That mm-hmm. was my client and his boyfriend. So after he left, I was like staring in the middle distance. <laughs> what just happened? And now yeah. I hope you understand that was not a discussion of sexual behavior. He and his right. now boyfriend are doing the same sex that he wasn't even asking me about sex. So they, whatever. Um, right. They're doing the same physical thing they were doing since they started dating. But now you understand he has discovered that he's gay because his once girlfriend is now a boy. So I got a lot of this from a really good book called Primal Screams by a woman named Mary Everstadt. And I won't go into all that she goes through, but she gave an outline that I think is quite accurate and I'd not really thought about it the way she did. Um, You know, I'm old enough to remember the sexual revolution and that was in the late 20th century, 70s, uh, 60s, 70s, when there was a cultural pushback on uh, what, what's wrong with this behavior? If it feels good, do it. Love the one you're with. And that was a, a big deal that uh, kind of changed uh, the culture in to saying, you know, we don't need to be, it's not even good for us to be limited by these outdated or religious morals. And it's really good for you to not be that way. Well, that, that whole argument is over. Like, uh, you know, teenagers that I see now, even from Christian homes, it's very common for them to mention about their sexual activity with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And I'm like, um, yeah, isn't that, doesn't Jesus say you're not supposed to do that? And it's like, 
oh, well, yeah, no, I, I mean, that, that's not the issue anymore. But what has happened is that, and again, from this book, the sexual revolution then leads to what she calls the great scattering. The thing no one thought about is that if you have a generation of adults who are sexually active without the bonds of marriage, uh, then there's a, a significant weakening of family structure so that uh, you have a generation that's raised in single parent homes, uh, revolving family members, um, uh, and really very little extended family influence. And I want to be really clear, I am not talking about whoever's listening to this, your family. This is much larger than that uh, and will still affect all of us even if we have what we call an intact family. That's not the issue. For example, I'm about as vanilla as it gets as a 60-year-old white male from an intact family. My parents, you know, were married, my grandparents were married but we lived hours away from any extended family. So even what became the norm when I was growing up uh, was two parents and I have a brother and a sister, three children. That was like the norm. Well, for all of history, the norm is your parents, your siblings, many siblings, cousins, grandparents, you, you don't even like each other, but we're all in the same village because mm -hmm. that's kind of how human behavior is. So the, the great scattering really came in the first part of the 21st century with more and more kids, children raised in families that are broken apart and, and shifting greatly. So how that affects them is your identity. Children develop the, the sense of who they are sort of in the, their eyes of the parents that know them well. You, you need, we call it mirroring, but you reflect who you are very often by the uh, well, always by the uh, consistent responses of those who are primary in your lives. Sort of like, I know who I am because I know whose I am. And that's a critical factor of how you know who you are. Think about it this way. Do you ever have a parent come into the room and, and say, hey, just what do you think you're doing? Well, that's a bit of a jolt about maybe I'm doing something wrong. But you may never have had this. I did once when my father said, just who do you think you are? Well, that was a big jolt because the man asking me that he knew who I, I was his and everything I had was his, you know, I owed him a lot. That was a big jolt, but we have an ever increasing percentage of young people who are not being raised in family systems that are strong enough to provide that solid identity. If the man's saying, who do you think you are is my mother's current boyfriend because she's recently divorced my stepfather and I actually never knew my biological father. That's a very different effect. Like who are you to be asking who I am, which the reverse is sad, which is you definitely are no one that can tell me who I am. And so many, many young people have, you know, maybe their mother, but you know, very few people to, that have qualified as, this person knows who I am and therefore I know who I am. Does that make sense? I mean, Ashley, yes, you've so got to be thinking about this, right? Yes. Yeah, so this increase in LGBTQIA plus teenagers and population has been due to a breakdown of our society that has been from generations past. It's nothing that just happened all of a sudden. Overnight. That's right. That's right. It's just it, over the time. Um, we're, we're finding these identity struggles, issues, um, because of a breakdown 
from decades past. Yeah, and that breakdown is in knowing who I am because Mm -hmm. I know whose I am. Mm -hmm. that there is less and less ability to do that. And what's really, and the things that affect that are divorce, the increase in out of wedlock pregnancy, mobility of families, uh, both parents working long hours away from their children, uh, and even nightly distracting technologies that can literally have people in the same room, but they are not interacting with each other. So it's, it's kind of disappointing because we've also at the same time, because of my field, increased a lot of things that seem like it would be good. Like your children are being told you're special, you Mm -hmm. are unique. But if that's coming from a guy on television, because my parents are gone or busy, it doesn't have the same, it can't say, uh, I am telling you who you are because I know you. Uh, Mm -hmm. you, you're not known. So that's important in understanding primarily that these LGBTQ issues are about who I am, not what do I want to be doing. Does that make sense? So to clarify, our our teens are growing up children. Children are asking constantly, who am I? Who do I belong to? What am I a part of? Right. You want to be part of a group. You want to be part of belonging. And if there's no one answering that question by saying, you're one of us, you're one of our family, you're a child of God. If no one's answering those questions clearly and concisely with them, they're going to start looking elsewhere for belonging in other places. You have to. And since you mentioned child of God, which is where we're going to obviously be going to for our Christian parents, even being told you're a child of God by someone that does not really know me Mm -hmm. does not have the same impact. So we have people who, for no, through no fault of their own, increasing percentage of young people who do, they need this. They must have some sense of who I am because I know whose I am, and they, they did not have that. I'd say this is probably a very different message than what most of us are hearing out in the world. I think most of us hear that your sexuality is um, a, it's a behavior. It's something that, that you're acting out on, but you're saying, no, this identity this is identity issue, not a behavior issue. Is that right? That's exactly right. And it's an important thing to distinguish and hard for parents to recognize the difference between a question of behavior and a question of identity. So for example, imagine that your teenage son comes home and tells you that his good friend is dating this girl and that they're having sex. Okay. Now, same scenario. Now your teenage son comes home and tells you that his good friend has come out as gay. Most parents think those are still the same category and they will respond, Christian parents, for example, will be deciding how they respond to let them know or remind them that that's sinful, well, I don't think that's good for them, all that. Again, whether you're being sexually active outside of marriage or whether you're gay, it's about what you're doing. This is the tricky part. The response of teenagers will tell you just how different those two things are. And that's critical because if you tell your teenage son that, you know, I don't, you, you know, we as Christians don't believe in sex outside of marriage, uh, you're likely to get a shrug or a, I know, you know, something, but you're not going to get a huge blow up. You might even be ignored uh, a lot of times because yeah, whatever. But if you say the same thing that, yeah, you know, homosexuality is, I believe that's wrong. That's a sin. You're very likely to get an extreme anger and resentment uh, from your uh, teenager because that is not the same 
question. Does that make sense? Like, why would they not be outraged by reminding them that this sexual activity is sin and yet be really out? And I'm not kidding. Your kid may not blow up on you, but more and more teenagers are absolutely, for example, deciding that I go to the church with my parents, but my church is condemning of homosexuality. So I've, I've, I will not consider that religion based on this issue. So it, that's what I mean. It's an identity. It is not saying you shouldn't do that. It is saying you shouldn't be that in their ears. And that should be handled differently because right. it is difficult. It's a different question. Right. right? It Makes sense. With more care. Yes. Oh, yes. That's right. It's clearly on the same level as commenting on someone's race or, or making fun of something that's innate and inherent to who they are. That's exactly right. And all you have to do is watch uh, the headlines and just the what's in, in popular media. And that, that is exactly right. It is absolutely seen on the same level as racism and, and any other kind of oppression. And you must keep that in mind because as Christians, we need to be effective in how we respond to these things. And your teenager isn't telling you that my friend or, I, or even they are wanting to do a thing. They're telling you that my friends or I am this thing. And those are, you respond to those things two very different ways. And I think we as parents carry a lot of weight in setting the example for our teenagers and our children on how we handle these types of relationships, whether oh, yes. a neighbor or a coworker or a friend or a family member that identifies as one of these, um, that our teenagers are watching us and how we navigate that. That is truer than you know. It is weird how often it comes up in my office, a teenager will remember um, a joke that their dad made about those gay people two or three years ago, mm -hmm. but they've never forgotten that. It's like, wow. That, that, so it's that kind of gravity. So how did sex and gender become associated with someone's identity? Yeah, okay, that's a hard question to answer and, and important to think about. So sorry, but you gotta keep your thinking caps on further because I know this is tough stuff. But uh, so young people with weak or no sense of who am I, are, it, it's not something that is a problem for them. They are absolutely driven to find out the answer to that, to fill that need. You cannot exist uh, if you don't know who you are and, and you're basically who you are. When you've had upheavals of, uh, you know, a spouse that you find out for years has been cheating or uh, lying, it, it'll, it'll get not just to, wow, that's a bad thing that's happened to me you'll feel that jolt of, I don't even know who I am anymore. Sometimes though that it's that level, you have to figure, you have to have a solid sense of who am I? So because of that strong drive that you have to know that it will lead young people with a weak sense of self very often to maladaptive responses to that. There's two big ones. One of them is you'll recognize it. They're, they're young people are often drawn to extremism or fundamentalism, that it would be a group that answers the who am I by inviting you, you can be us. But these groups to be strong enough that late in life virtually always have to be violently opposed to them. So how would uh, teenagers in the inner city uh, be attracted to a gang because they love criminal activity? No, 
because a gang is spoken of. You, if you hear gang people, they talk about themselves like a family. It is hard to get in. You cannot get out. You know, it's, it's a weird kind of you are ours. And that is what's attractive. It's similar to uh, alt-right groups that uh, are racist and, uh, and, you know, white nationalism. That's also a strong, usually violently uh, leaning group that answers the strong question of you are us and you have to have a big and them. Uh, the same thing is drawn many of our uh, American uh, kids who are is Islamic to radicalize Again, not because of the, I think, the content of the beliefs, but the uh, answering of this is who you are. So that's the one uh, maladaptive way of doing it. Stick with me. Here's the other one that I think is now becoming the most common way to answer the who am I. And it's, it's what I'm going to call, I'm going to use the word selfism. It is the development of a new religion, a secular religion. And, and I, I want to be real clear. I like the word selfism. That comes from a book by a psychologist named Paul Vitz. He wrote a book in, I think, the 70s called Psychology as Religion. And he used this word, I think, more effectively than he even realized back then. By selfism, and I don't mean it as a derogatory term at all, I mean it is the secular religion that teaches that you have within you an authentic self that exists in each of us and it can and must be sort of discovered and it prescribes the heroic life of bravely holding to this true self in the face of oppression that is received from others. That sounds like a description of our culture today. I, right? I mean, culture is, is selfism. Am I right? <laughs> I hope that we see that. Now, again, I don't mean selfish. Selfish right. it started in Genesis 3. Selfish is everybody. Right. Selfism is a new way of saying and really is believed. It's just not even identified, but it's a, it's a secular religion. Like you said, it's not. So, th so the LGBTQ is actually a subset of, it's what you said, Jessica, it's a subset of this currently kind of prescribed religion that it's one of the inner parts of this true self that people discover. And it's, it's what, it, there's other categories of it. You remember, did you ever hear that book, Eat, Pray, Love, that Oprah was all about? It was by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's an autobiographical story. Elizabeth Gilbert is uh, married to a, apparently a nice guy, as she said, for five years or whatever. And she is miserable because she doesn't have real love and she needs to thrive. Humans must have real love. And I think she means romantic love. So that, that's the religious tenets are then sort of stated. So she does the hard thing of divorcing this nice guy, because you got to do that, to go find the true self. And then she goes to Italy to eat, to learn about the spirituality of food. I don't know. India to pray. And then I forget where she lands for love. But she marries a guy at the end of the book. This was 10 years ago. She's now divorced from that guy. But again, that's all in the um, pursuit of genuine love, meaning feel good, finding the person in the life that you feel really fulfilled in. That's 
a kind that's absolutely selfism uh I, it's i you know that i make jokes about the enneagram enneagram's a fine little personality test you know so is the uh, myers-briggs but man people talk about it like with this religious fervor that i worry includes a kind of that's teaching me the true inner me well it's good to know that but it's not this great fulfillment of your life. Uh, and, and like you said, we've taught our kids this sub levels of this their whole life. You can be anything you want to be. I can't think of one thing I would have told my girls, honey, you can't be that because you're a girl. I, I, you don't, no, no, no. You can be, if you want it enough, we've told our kids sub levels of this selfism for, for decades. And mm -hmm. it's not a stunner uh, that about five years ago, whenever it reached a critical mass, and also spilled into, yeah, and I can also know who I am based on my sexual interests and kind of how I feel, male or female. And that's how that, it's a subcategory of what I'm calling selfism. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But anything that we put in the place of God to find our identity would be selfism. Yeah, that's idolatry. And, and we okay. all have different levels of this. What's unique about selfism is that it is this, again, unnamed, but everyone knows it, mm -hmm. philosophy, I call it really secular religion, really, that says that actually you don't have to uh, know yourself by connecting yourself as an American, as a uh, white person, as a uh, wealthy person. You can actually do this just within yourself. And my field, of course, to my um, unhappiness has contributed hugely that reflection and some kind of inner knowledge of who you are can be enough. You can name yourself. That is a, is a new subset of idolatry is what I would say. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And so one extreme where you are naming those groups, um, that's inclusive and selfism is you can stand alone and be your own thing. It, which is the, the weakness of the whole thing because um, standing alone, that you're trying to make a group out of people who are all standing alone. Right. So that's where we get to LGBTQIA, as in how did, first of all, what do all those mean? And, and how do those get grouped together? And again, it only makes sense as a group together if you understand it as ways of self-defining your inner experience to decide who I am in my identity. Okay, Dr. Ken, can you go through those? Because some of those are new to me and they might be new to our listeners as well. So can you kind of just break those down for us? Yes, because I hope that by now we've answered the question of why you need to know what these are mm -hmm. and take them seriously, because I guarantee you, your young people around you are taking them seriously. So the easy way to think about it, LGBTQIA, which is a current subheading of actually 25 or more identifiers, but these are the most uh, commonly used. You can divide them into two groups. There's the group that are trying to add to their identity by their sexual preference. They look inward and try to decide what I regularly and consistently am attracted to sexually. Who, who or whether I, if I'm a male, am I attracted to females? Am I attracted to males? Or even am I not attracted to anyone? Those would be the L, the G, the B, and the A. So lesbian, 
is obviously same-sex attraction of a woman to a woman. Gay is same-sex attraction of a male to males. Uh, however, gay is occasionally used as a generic lesbian. Uh, some may also call themselves gay. Bi, uh, B is for bisexual. I'm attracted to both men and women. Uh, and then A is newer and refers to, in some cases, asexual, which is, again, a people who are not attracted to uh, anyone sexually. And again, you know, asexual can be in the past sort of a disorder, like something, am I depressed? What's wrong with me that I have no sexual interest at all? Well, now if you're on a search for identity, that same inner feeling is very, more and more being propped up as a, no, that, that's a who I am. People say, I have discovered that I am asexual. Here's how I discovered it. And we asexuals are like this, which is a pretty shaky definition because you can be asexual because of uh, medication. But the point is, um, it, 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 these are all the sexual preference group, uh, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and asexual. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the other group, which again, if you understand it, is kind of different. And yet, as identities, it's not. And that would be the gender identity group. And that's uh, the looking inward and discovering, okay, my body presents as male or my body presents as female. And, but do I feel male? Do I, and I don't, again, this isn't funny stuff. It's not, you'll be tempted to joke of, well, today I feel, that's not funny. It's mm-hmm. like, Am I someone who regularly struggles and feels female, even though my body says male or, or other ways of doing it? You see that? So mm-hmm. that's what transgender is, is to be uh, a, a male like Caitlyn Jenner is, mm-hmm. uh, I grew up knowing Bruce Jenner, the Olympian, is a woman because Caitlyn has what they call come out. You hear the whole religious wording here uh, as truly a woman. And so that's transgender. Now, if, as things have advanced, now there's a question of, well, if it's an inner experience, then why does it have to be male or female? What is there? What if it's a spectrum? What if it's, if you don't feel either male or female? Well, that used to be, there was a a criticism or a name calling called, you'd call someone queer. That's now been adopted as the cue. Uh, I am someone who is queer or gender queer, meaning I uh, don't really feel internally male or female. Sometimes it's called questioning. I'm kind of somewhere in between. Again, this is part of, it makes sense if you see it as part of, I'm trying to discover my inner self. And mm-hmm. that's where it, it can go all over the place. And I stands for intersex. And intersex uh, essentially is a small grouping of chromosomal and physical uh, deformities at birth that make it difficult to identify this newborn as either male or female, hermaphrodism, there's some other things. Those have now been renamed, again, if we now know ourselves as male or female or whatever internally, then um, those have been renamed as a grouping that sort of proves that now uh, it's old news to think that you're born male or female. Some people are born neither. There's a, if you want to really get an education, go to the Teen Vogue YouTube website. There's this video that just confidently states that, of course, 
people used to think you're born male or female, but that's not really true. And they have this, you know, they found the very small number of people who are neither genetically or what, and, and that's teaching you the obvious, you know, you really get to teenagers by telling something that makes it sound like we all agreed upon this at lunch yesterday and you weren't here and you don't want to be the idiot that doesn't know that, that this thing that there's no medical support for this, but it is the new way of describing that. Yeah. There's not male and female. There's all in between. That's now called intersex. And uh, again, that hopefully would make sense under the subheading of there's an inner you authentic you that you need to identify. And if it doesn't fit with your body, then you have to do something about that. And that all is, is, is carried out in religious fervor. You know, when you have surgery to pla uh, plastic surgery to try to change your body's appearance to look like the other sex, uh, that's known as gender confirmation surgery. Does that make sense now? It makes sense that um, when you're altering your body, you can't really change your sex, but you can try to look that way and hormonally change some of the effects. Mm -hmm. That makes sense under selfism as religion, kind of, that, that it is uh, gender confirmation surgery. Your inner self is now being uh, expressed for finally in the body that you felt uncomfortable with your whole life. So hopefully by this point, it makes sense that we're saying that LGBTQ is a subset of a larger, almost secular religion of selfism. And parents who want to talk effectively with their teenager need to move away from thinking the discussion is about behavior and it is about identity. And for Christian parents, that means really knowing how to talk about identities that are self-chosen and do not align with Christ, because as you know, Christians, little Christs, are supposed to be and striving to gain all of their identity from our relationship with God through Jesus, meaning that all of our identities must align under that banner. And so we'll talk about that next week, and hopefully by this point that discussion will make sense. Of course, with a topic this deep, we have a lot of things to discuss, so we'll carry it forward next week. Thanks for joining us today. Hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Also, leave us a review. This is how other listeners find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Feeding the Mouth. We appreciate you and would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about what we've discussed today, please email us at podcast at feedingthemouth.com.